when I was a kid, I grew up in Dufton. I grew up in a very rough part of Dufton and Dandenong. And as I've grown and got married, you know, I've told people I grew up in Dufton, especially in the eastern suburbs, people have kind of like, oh, that was a rough area. And there's a stigma to where you grow up. I didn't know it was a stigma growing up in a kind of a housing commission house with a single mum. A lot of my uncles were involved in kind of pub fights. And so I didn't realise that people from so posher suburbs were kind of afraid of where I grew up, that it had a stigma of being known as a very rough area. I didn't know that. I grew up, I knew the locals. I I felt very safe walking down the road. It wasn't until I moved to America, I lived in Chicago, and there was a particular area where we chose to live, which was considered one of the most dangerous areas to live in Chicago. Now, we weren't in the shooting area. We were about 10 minutes where there was gunshots and so on. But I remember initially thinking, oh, this is how people felt where I grew up. Like we had to learn about what streets to go into and what streets not to go into. We had to learn. And you, what you don't know, you stigmatise. And so not knowing some of the people in the area, we, you know, some of those cars that go up and down and bounce, you know, the kind of Hispanic kind of gangs that would have these cars. I remember the first time my wife and I saw them and we were like, oh, wow, that's really scary. There's gangs and this is kind of terrifying. But actually... We lived there for five years. It was a predominantly Hispanic community, about 95%. They're actually beautiful people, family people. Yes, there were some rough areas. There were some areas where the teacher kids to not go to. But actually, once you got to know them, you stopped stigmatising them. And it's interesting. I think we all have this picture of people that we make an image in our mind. We stigmatise them, whether it's homeless people or whether it's drug addicts, whatever it is, that we might not know their story. We don't know them. We, we don't know we fear. And so I think there's a story here in the Bible that talks exactly about this. In Jesus' time and age, uh, the time the Bible was written, there was a, a stigmatism around people that were lepers. There was no cure for leprosy. You know, if you had leprosy, you couldn't go down to CVS, couldn't go down to the chemist and say, have you got a bit of cream for leprosy? If you got leprosy, you became incredibly ostracized from your community immediately. Immediately. And this is real people. Like this story out of the Bible, I want you to imagine his name's Larry. And that Larry uh, is just listening to this message at home or in your car. Larry's got a wife. He's got kids. I think this is a true story. The Bible is a true book. And I I believe here's Larry. He finds out he's got leprosy. And in Jesus' day and age, he would have had to kiss his wife goodbye and he would have had to move out of the home. He would have had to say goodbye to his family. And people were terrified of leprosy. There's no cure. And so people would have crossed the road when they saw lepers. They would have stigmatized that something had they'd done something bad in their life to get leprosy. And every time lepers saw people from their community, they lived in a rural setting, there's no buses or trains, they lived in in community, they would have lived on the outskirts of town, often together, keeping away from the general town, looking for scraps of food. Every time lepers saw people, they had to give a warning to people and say, unclean. This unclean was to help to make people aware they were coming. And some scholars believe they even had a bell that they had to ring to kind of warn people off. And the reason people were scared of them was not just the physical disease. Leprosy was horrible. It was it, People often didn't die from the leprosy itself, but it was the fact that they couldn't feel pain anymore. They would often boil 
Uh, maybe they would put their hand in a fire or maybe in a boiling pot of water. And it was a terrible, horrible disease to catch itself. But it was also the stigmatism that they were unclean. They weren't fit to go to temple. They couldn't go to church. They weren't allowed in the market. They weren't allowed to interact with people. And so lepers often leave. Imagine every time you caught the eye of a neighbor, someone you'd grown up with, and as soon as they caught eyes caught, they looked at you just like people looked at me when I was a kid from Dufton or maybe some of the people that we looked at initially in those rough gang areas. They looked at you and they automatically judged you as dirty and unclean and contagious. It was a terrible stigmatism. Unclean. This is what these lepers had to deal with. And this poor Larry, let's call him Larry the leper from the Bible, uh, here he finds his life in shambles. And, he, and the Bible doesn't tell us how, but he must have heard about Jesus and this incredible person that healed the blind and gathered children and cared for the widow and the orphan, who, who talked to like no one else had ever really talked before, who, who had this incredible ability to heal people. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 40, the Bible says that this man, I'm calling him Larry, I've made that up, it's not in the Bible, but we'll call him Larry for today, a man with leprosy, called Larry, I'll call him, came and knelt in front of Jesus. Firstly, I think that's incredible that he wants Jesus to heal him. And it says that he begged him to be healed. He says, if you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? He said. Now, I need to explain this. Jesus was considered a rabbi, which means he taught in the temple, the Jewish church, and it was by law rabbis had to keep a hundred feet away from lepers so that they couldn't ever be considered unclean to be able to do their religious duties of teaching from the Bible, the, the Torah, the Jewish Bible. And so here we have this situation where this leper, whether he come around a corner, I don't know the situation. I imagine it in my mind. You know, Jesus turns a corner and here's this leper. He kind of pounces out from the bushes and he kneels in front of Jesus and he begs him to heal him. Now, often I ask this question, could Jesus have healed him and kept the 100 feet? I want you to think about that for a moment. Could he have kept all the religious requirements and still healed him? Now, he's Jesus. I think Jesus can do anything. He could have said, I'm not sure what he used to say, you're healed. But instead, we have this picture where Jesus breaks the religious barriers It's like he does it intentionally. And the first thing I want to comment is it says, the Bible says in verse 41, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. When Jesus sees this man and listens to the words of him begging, and I would guarantee most of us on this call have never had to beg for our life. Maybe there's some callers today. Maybe you've been in that situation where you've cried out to Jesus like that. I think it's incredibly vulnerable to have to call out, please heal me, because my my life is over. And we know with COVID there's been lots of people crying out for their family members and for sick ones. And I think about many of my friends in the States, 100,000 cases. There's people right now who would relate to this story and understand what it's like to lose a loved one, pray for someone, beg the God of the universe to heal them. 
And what does Jesus do? He doesn't rush past him. He doesn't doesn't push him away. He doesn't say, hey, I, I can't break the, the hundred feet. I've got to teach in temple this weekend. I don't want to offend some Christians or religious people. They'll be upset if I'm known touching you or being near you. Jesus's first emotion is compassion. Other translations said he was filled with compassion. This, if you could remember anything from from what I'm sharing this morning, is that the Lord Jesus is filled with compassion for you and your story. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every dark moment, every tear that's been shed, every hope, every fear, every dream, every nightmare that God is not distant, he's not far away, that he walks right next to you. He knows your kids, he knows your job, he knows your neighbourhood, he knows your story. What I love about this, the Bible says that Jesus, filled with compassion, he sees this man, he enters into his story and says he reached out and he touched him. It says, I am willing. He said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And the man was healed. What I think is incredible is that Jesus had to be close enough to be able to touch him. Now, unless Jesus had go-go gadget arms, you know, that he could go, you know, keep the 100 feet. You know, he had to be within an arm length of this man. That's breaking all the religious laws of the time, all the rabbinical laws that Jesus would have known. He was a well-known teacher. He knew the law. He grew up Jewish. He would have understood the, the complexity. What about the fact that he could have caught the disease? He was fully human and fully God. We know that he was fully human, that he died on a cross, that he's, he was, his body was pierced, that he could bleed. You know, this, he, could have, he put himself in danger of catching the disease. But he cared about this man's story. Here he is. He says, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy is gone. I believe, this is my own liberty of imagining the story, I believe Jesus hugged this man. What did that man need? What did every time he'd seen another human being, they would have shrilled, they would have, they would have shrieked, they would have walked away. He would have over and over and over, hundreds of times called out, unclean. He would have seen people cross the street in, in disgust. He would have had to not been able to touch or hold his family. What did that man need? He needed the touch of another person. He needed a man to put his hand on him and go, I love you, I know you. At my own risk, I'm embracing you. And the man is healed. And what comes in that healing? What, is, what happens for that man? We often think about just his physical healing, but it's more than that. This is what I think so amazing about the Jesus of the Bible. He becomes restored back to his family. He gets restored to his community. He gets to go and be part of the very place that he grew up with, that now he lived in the graveyards and with other lepers maybe. Now he gets restored this is what the healing of the kingdom of God is like, that it brings healing and wholeness to the man's family. He gets to be returned to his wife and his kids. He gets returned back to his neighborhood. Now, the Bible doesn't say he has a wife or kids, but so often we make these stories like they're neutral, that they're kind of like they're just kind of imaginary people. But I believe this is a real story, that this could have been a married man. This could have been a father. He definitely was somebody's son. He definitely could have been somebody's brother. 
He could definitely could have been somebody's husband. And when I imagine it like that, it becomes so real that our stories God cares about, that he cares deeply about this. So what does that mean for us? I think this is about what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, this is not about whether you go to church or not or whether you're a member at a congregation. This is about, firstly, your obedience to follow Jesus. What does it mean when you see people in need? You know, there's a lot of need right now. I think during this COVID time, you know, I, from my own council, I live in Beaconsfield, my own council member sent out a letter saying, could you please check on the vulnerable, the elderly? Could you please engage people in your neighbourhood? It doesn't matter how many government services that are run, we need kindness among people. We need people to be filled with compassion. You know, if we only mow our lawn up to the imaginary line and don't mow our, our neighbours, if we don't check on our elderly neighbours, if we don't ask if people are okay, and not just, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. But genuinely check and see and feel and hear and meet the needs, drop off food. Now, I know we can't fully eat in people's homes and we can't fully share life, but those times are coming. Those restrictions will be lifted over the next few months. The question still is that we can still be curious you know, one of my friends, Corey Mitchell, who runs Steeple Church, talks about what is hospitality. And the word hospitality in the Bible is the love of the stranger. It's not just our friends and our family that we need to love, but Jesus models for us the love of the stranger. One of the things about hospitality is serving others that we may not know. And maybe you don't know your neighbors. Maybe you don't know some people in your street. Maybe you've never crossed the road and checked on people. But I want to encourage you today Wherever you are with your walk with Jesus, if you aspire in any way to be like Jesus, go and cross the street, knock on your neighbor's door. And maybe you've lived there for a year, 10 years, 20 years. And if you've lived there a long time, you know there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm sorry, I don't know you. My name's Kim. I'm sorry, I've never bothered to come over before. Can I get to know you? I guarantee you nine out of 10 times, people will tell you their name and engage you in ways. I think we've been pushed back into our neighborhoods during this time. I think that uh, people have been uh, driven back into their neighborhoods and are starting to engage people. I talk to people all the time in our congregation and they are walking. There's so many people walking. Are you walking before in ways that you've never, are you discovering streets in your neighborhood that you've never walked down before? You've seen your neighbors and their pets and their kids unprecedented ways you know I came home just the other day and I saw my, my elderly neighbors they had a couple of their family over in the we live on a park they were sitting in the park and I just thought people are longing for community what if it wouldn't mean for us to do that what does it mean to stretch out our hand what's in your hand you know so often we think preaching or singing is for priests or pastors only. But I think every follower of Jesus has something in their hand, whether it is a hug, socially distancing carefully when we're allowed to, but whether it's writing a letter or baking something or mowing someone's lawn or babysitting, whatever, there is infinite amount of examples where you can show the love of God to another person. I think that we uh, at Sea Life have tried to practice this habit uh, in a way that isn't a program, isn't with an agenda, but purely to be a blessing to others. We call it bless as a missional rhythm. And it begins with prayer. You know, I would encourage you to pray for your neighbors just by name. 
Ask the question, do you know who you live next to and do you know anything about them, who their kids are, where they work, what their dreams and hopes are? And then if we listen to people, people are dying to tell their story. You know, my wife and I got to go to our favourite uh, cafe this week. I was just coming off holidays and uh, we, my son graduated year 12. We went down to our favourite cafe. I know all the waitresses and waiters. I know the owners. It's one of my regular spots. I haven't been there in six months. So it was so lovely to go back and they remembered me and I remembered them and just to ask them how their families are going and to listen to some of their stories. If you take the time, people will tell you the most incredible, profound things about them without agenda except to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show love like Jesus did, to be filled with compassion, moved with compassion. That would be my prayer for you today, that God will soften your heart, that that you know, in this ever-increasing cynical world where we're overstimulated with news, it's so easy to have a hard heart. But I think our prayer should be, God, melt our hearts, especially for the stranger, the person across the road. Maybe they're from a different nationality. Maybe they grew up like I did. My mum was from Egypt. You know, I know what it's like to have a one eyebrow and be looked a little bit differently. I don't. I didn't always always feel very Australian. My family's kind of Middle Eastern. I have family from Syria and Greece and and Egypt and and they're my people. I relate to that. Those kind of immigrants that came out in the seventies. All my cousins and uncles. I have Uncle Spiros and Uncle Lefty and Auntie Georgia and Helen. And, uh, you know, all the names, the kind of Greek-Egyptian names. But you know what? We were embraced by people in Australia and we became Australians. And Australia is made up of many cultures. And so there's something about being filled with compassion, getting to know people, be enter into their story. And then lastly, stretching out our hands. What's in your hand? Are you a baker? Are you good at fixing things? I'm terrible. I'm terrible at fixing things. My wife's a great cook. My wife makes up these platters. She did this for a business for many years. She doesn't do it now, but she'll do it for people she loves. She'll make a platter of cheese and dips, and, and she's so gifted at it. You know, you know, you can just throw chips onto a board or, or you know, crackers onto a board. But my wife has a, is an art when she put it together. She ran out for a business for many years. She did weddings for two or 300 people. She's incredibly gifted. And we'll drop one off this afternoon to a friend of ours who's it's their birthday. When my wife puts crackers and strawberries on a plate, it's like a piece of art with chocolate. But that's my wife using a gift. She goes to Audi and takes $5 cheeses and makes them look like they're $500. There is something about a a cheese platter from my wife that is incredibly good. And there's generosity that we can show. Even though COVID has been incredibly hard, many people under financial strain, there's ways of generosity that we can share our time and our gifts and that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm seeing this happen to hundreds and hundreds of followers of Jesus at City Life who are being kind to their neighbours, who are who are uh, doing things they've never done before. You know, I knew somebody who threw a street party and there was one particular person in the street who would never get involved in this street party at Christmas every time. And they would, uh, everyone else would do Christmas lights and barbecues and they would not participate. And finally this lady thought, I'll just go and check and knock on the door and ask this year, will they help they went and knocked on the door and they found out that his wife had died and that he, the reason he had not engaged the last few years, he'd just been lonely and sad. It finally took one person to knock on the door and invite him into community and he got involved in the Christmas uh, barbecue celebration. 
People are waiting for kindness. They're waiting for people to cross the street at the risk. It might not be leprosy or a disease, but often don't we drive into the into our houses and the garage shuts down behind us and we don't ever engage the people closest to us in proximity. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. and Just pray that you will show kindness in the name of Jesus, that you will show love in ways that maybe there's people around you who are waiting for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Don't wait for them to be invited to a church. Be the church to them. You don't have to have an affiliation with a church. If you're interested or inspired by the person of Jesus, read his book. This book of Mark is such a great book to start with. It's one of the first gospels ever written. It's the rawest gospel. I love what it tells us about Jesus. Jesus filled with compassion, stretches out his hand at his own risk, and I believe hugs this man. What does that man need is a hug. When we can socially distance safely, when we can actually embrace each other, maybe it's just an elbow, maybe it's just a glance, maybe it's just a chance of looking up and acknowledging those around you that others have forgotten. Who could you check on this week in your street? Who could you be inspired to just check on and find out about them? You never know what difference it will make. I've heard hundreds of stories where people have taken an interest in others. My wife just would never, ever come on radio, never speak on stage, but she reached out to a bunch of our neighbours. We know our neighbours really well on either side. There's some further neighbours a bit down we'd never really gotten to know that well. She went in and just checked on an elderly couple in their 80s. My wife stood in the front yard, listened to one of them, and she'd been incredibly ill. She needed somebody just to listen to her story, just to show compassion. We need more compassion. We need more kindness. We need more love. We need to do it in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that they are not fictional stories, but real stories where you came to earth, where you lived and died for our sins, and you gave us all a second chance, and you inspired us by your life to be like you. May we be filled with compassion, not just for our family, not just for our closest friends, but for the stranger. Maybe for the person who's from a different country, a different nationality, a different socioeconomic standing, that we will not judge people, Father, but we will love them like you did. Father, give us opportunities. I know that you are good, that you are faithful, that if we ask you, that you'll uh, show us more opportunities. I pray that we'll continue to make your Bible come alive, that these are not just stories on a dusty old book, but they're a living word. And I pray for people who are listening, maybe who are lonely, who maybe need that kindness. Give them hope. Activate your church, your people, that there will be just thousands and thousands of followers of Jesus who will give people a chance to experience your kindness and your goodness and your, your incredible friendship. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.